0: So this week, we continue our Advent series that we've titled Away in a Manger, where we're walking through the beginning of Luke chapter 2 and sitting with each of the characters in the Nativity story. Last week, we began our series by looking at Joseph, the faithful yet forgotten earthly father of Jesus. We looked at his journey, and we saw how we too can relate to the one who was faithful to his call, the one who did the hard thing, walked the hard path, and isn't remembered as maybe... He would want to be. Maybe he had hoped to be. That can be a hard road, but it is a good road, a road that many of us walk all all to the glory of our God. Speaking of glory to our God, that is where we will be picking up with Luke chapter two this week. Last week we looked at Joseph. This week we will be looking at the innkeeper. Now, clearly, he wasn't present in the manger that night, but that doesn't mean he doesn't play a role in the Christmas story. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 6 and 7. If you don't have your Bible with you but prefer to hold the, the text tangibly in your hands, there should be a Bible on the back of the pew in front of you. However, if you prefer, the words will be on the screens beside me. If you're able... I encourage you to stand as we read the word of the Lord. Luke chapter two, verses six and seven. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Thus ends the reading. God, we thank you for all that you have done. We, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. On Sunday, February 12, 2023, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles met in the Super Bowl. The biggest sports event and television draw of the year Drawing an average audience of 115.1 million viewers across Fox and Fox Deportes and other digital streams. That's a lot of eyeballs. It's a huge, huge marketing opportunity. Though there has admittedly been a lot of drop off and how funny the Super Bowl commercials have been, many of us have turned the game on simply to watch the commercials, simply to see the advertisements. Companies spend a lot of money to have their products and messages air to an audience of that size. Two ads in particular sparked a bit of a stir this year, not because they were funny, but because they were Christian. A nonprofit funded primarily by anonymous donors launched a campaign in 2022 titled He Gets Us. The intent behind the campaign is, is to make Jesus more tangible more relatable to a public that may not necessarily see him that way. The campaign is well-produced and gives thought-provoking messages about how Jesus was an activist in his own way. It tells of how he was fed up with politics, how he came from a dysfunctional family, how he felt alone at times, etc. Some of the initial videos were the most controversial, speaking to Jesus being a rebel and a refugee. Ultimately, the He Gets Us campaign is met with criticism from the left and the right, but that didn't stop this nonprofit from spending over $100 million to get the message that Christ understands us, that he gets us to over 115 million sets of eyeballs on February 12th of 2023. And the price was worth it because it's a message that matters. He gets us, hasn't done a video on it yet, and I don't think that they would, but in our text this morning, we see Jesus in another he gets us moment. He isn't even born yet, but he's about to have one of the most traumatic experiences a human can have. He's about to be born. But instead of being in a hospital, his mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, are just hoping for a warm, clean place where they can get Mary as comfortable as possible before she gives birth. But as our text points out, there isn't any room for them. Now we don't know exactly what this looked like back in the day, it's not like Bethlehem was a hub of tourism. And so often inns were a two-story building where the animals were housed on the first floor and then rooms were available on the second floor. Sometimes uh, they were a one-story building, right? And then a barn next to the building, the place where, where animals would be. It was, it was a bit of a package deal back then. Sometimes you had covered parking, and sometimes you didn't. And now remember, this is the time of the census, so everyone is supposed to go back to where they're from so they can be counted by the Roman government. There are more people in Bethlehem right now than they have rooms available to accommodate. That's just the reality of the situation. But reality doesn't often make situations easier, does it? Just because the reality is that there isn't room for Mary and Joseph and their soon-to-be-born baby in a space with a bed doesn't suddenly make their situation easier. It doesn't make Joseph more confident. It doesn't make Mary more comfortable. It's hard. The situation is really hard. They are in need. They're about to go through a very difficult and scary experience, and they are young, probably around 18 or 14, and 14 years old. Forget these, these pictures, right, of the 30 and 40-year-olds we see. I, I think they, 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 they age them a little bit just so that we're a little bit more comfortable with, with the situation. But the reality is, like, these are kids. And they've been traveling a great distance. And Mary is about to give birth, and there is no room for them in the place of comfort. There is no room for Jesus. He has been relegated to the manger. Can we relate to Mary and Joseph in this instance? Can we relate to Jesus? Being in a place of need, being in a place of hurt and pain and needing some comfort, needing some help, needing support, but being turned away, there just isn't room for you. You need to find your own way. You can go give birth somewhere else. Maybe try the manger with the animals. It's all we've got left. I don't know what your walk of life has been like, church. I don't know what areas, what people, what groups, what churches, what schools, what communities have not made room for you. But I am convinced that at varying points in our lives, we have all felt relegated to the major. We have all had times of feeling like we were in places of need, and instead of being cared for, we were pushed aside. We were ignored. Maybe your parents didn't have time for you when you needed them to. Maybe your job handed you walking papers at a very inopportune and difficult time. Maybe you were sick and the doctors just couldn't fit you into their busy schedules. Maybe your spouse was emotionally unable when you needed them to be available. Maybe your friends were there when friends are supposed to be, you know, or weren't there when friends are supposed to be, I I don't know what your story is, church. I don't know where your hurts lie. I don't know the intricacies of your pain, but I know that there is pain. And regardless of how we may feel about the He Gets Us campaign, we can't deny that at least on the surface level, they're right. He does get us. He knows what it's like to be relegated, to be pushed aside, to not have priority placed upon us. Though we are in a time of need, he gets it. He gets us. And as comforting as it is to know that Jesus can relate to us, it gets just as uncomfortable when we realize that we can also relate to a different character in this story. And I'm not necessarily blaming him. I mean, he had a tough job. There are only so many rooms. It's first come, first serve, and Mary and Joseph just didn't get there first. Like, these are the breaks in life. You got to look out for yourself and your business, right? It's, it's not your fault that a pregnant woman showed up at your door after all the rooms were gone. What are you supposed to do? Dump a paying customer out on the street? It's not their fault that these two didn't get here earlier. Yeah, we can understand the position of the innkeeper. For in our sinfulness, in our own ways, we at times have relegated Jesus as well, haven't we? And hey, just like the innkeeper, we often don't even realize that we're doing it. Life just got busy. There are so many things that are clamoring for our time, our energy, the kids, the spouse, work, that long list of things that we've wanted to get done forever, right? Fun, sports, vacations, hobbies. And there are thing- are there things in your life that you are putting before Jesus? Have you filled the rooms of your inn with other things, other thoughts, other passions, other people? Have you, like the innkeeper, like me, relegated Jesus to the manger? In confirmation class, we're working our way through the Ten Commandments right now. And sometimes we can fool ourselves with the commandments, can't we? We can fool ourselves into thinking that we're doing okay with certain instructions from God. Do not murder, right? Like, do not commit adultery. We hear that and we're like, yeah, I, I think I'm doing pretty good there. I haven't killed anybody. I've remained faithful to my spouse. And, and then we get deeper into it and realize that just being angry with somebody and, and wishing them harm is breaking the fifth commandment. And looking at someone with desire, lust in the heart, or disrespecting and not loving our spouse is breaking the sixth commandment. And so in some ways, we fool ourselves. And in others, as, as soon as we hear the instruction, we know we've failed That one, right? Like the fourth commandment. Honor your mother and father. We hear that and are convicted right away. Knowing that we have not been perfect children to our parents. And that's how it is with the first commandment. The most important commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Our red book, The Explanation of Luther's Small Catechism, uh, the book that we use to teach doctrine and life, asks the question, what does this mean? And here's the answer. This means that we are to fear, love, and trust God above anything else. Anything else. Our kids, our spouse, our time, our job, our hobbies, our sports team, our reputation, our comfort. Fear, love, and trust God above anything else. The first commandment condemns us for putting Jesus in the manger. We are to clear out the best room. He is to come first for anything we put before him is an idol, a false god. And even in that, we begin to make excuses, right? Like, we line up the things that we like, the things that we want, the things that we may not even truly realize that we are worshiping. And then as long as we've got God at the front of the line, we're good, right? Like, we just aren't supposed to have any gods before him. They can come after but that doesn't even really do this commandment justice. For we, if we go into the Hebrew here, we see that when we, what we translate as before is a term that is used to mean before his face, which actually means in his presence. So in the first commandment, God is saying that we are not to have any God in his presence. We aren't supposed to have any idols. Period. Not that we can't have things in our lives that we love. Of, of course we are to love our kids. Of course we are to love and respect our spouses. There are commandments about those things as well. God doesn't want us destitute and on the streets. We're allowed to have things that we love and enjoy. It's good to have hobbies. It's good to utilize your gifts and your abilities. It's important to rest. It's important to take care of your physicals and your mentals. Go to the gym. Take a nap. Get counseling. These are good things. God isn't telling us that good things are bad. He's telling us that when good things become idols, that's what's bad. For there is one God, and he will not share glory. So how are we doing with that one, church? How are we doing with recognizing that we have failed? How are we doing with wrestling with the realization that we each have idols? That our sinful hearts are idle factories. That there is a part of us constantly searching for things to put, not just before God on a list, but on the list at all. How are we doing with recognizing that in our own ways, at different times, we have told God that there is no room for him at the inn and we have relegated him to the manger? As we wrestle with that, may we once again remember that he gets us. Scary as it may be, as as embarrassing as it may be, God knows our hearts. He knows our hurts. He knows how we have betrayed him. He knows how we have made idols. And despite our betrayal, despite how we have not kept the commands, the instruction that he has given us, he has loved us anyway. Loved us so much that he sent his son. His son, who didn't register, is important enough for the innkeeper to clean out a room for his birth. His Son, whose coming was the answer to a promise made thousands of years before His actual coming. His Son, who will one day come again. God loved us so much that He sent us Jesus. And Jesus came and lived with us and ate with us. He healed us and taught us. He pushed us and challenged us. And we hated Him for it. And one day we betrayed Him and sought His death. He was abandoned and denied by His closest friends. And we made him carry the instrument of his death up a hill. And with the cross, Jesus carried not just the lumber, but the full weight of the sins of the world. The Bible tells us that as the nails went through his hands and his feet, Jesus became sin for us. He was was lifted up in his nakedness, and he was mocked and jeered by those that hated him. And he loved them. And he was suffering and dying for them. But they spit on him and reviled him. There on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. It was poured out on him for every time that we have failed. For every time that we have relegated him. For every time that we have not given him the glory. For every time that we have slipped and messed up. There on the cross, Jesus died paying the price for sin that we could not. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, and when we believe in him, when we trust in him, when we have faith in him, we are saved. Through faith, we live in the fruits of forgiveness. Through faith, the dirty rags of our sin are taken from us, and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Through faith, we are brought into the family of God and declared co-heirs with Christ. All of this through faith. None of this through our works. We are saved by faith, church and there is forgiveness at the cross. As we navigate this season of Advent, this time of reflection on the promises that God has kept, while recognizing that we still sit and wait for the realization of promises made, let us remember that Jesus gets us. This is not an easy season for all of us. Some of us will remember hurts and losses more tangibly during this time. Some will feel on the outside unable to get wrapped up in the cheer that seems to come to others so easily. As we sit in the pain of life, may we remember that Christ came for us too. May we remember that God has not forgotten us, but that Jesus gets us. And as we sit in the comfort of that realization, may we also remember the innkeeper. He was so busy with all of the other things going on during that crazy busy time, the time of the census, all the customers, all the money to be made, all of the people and the busyness of the days that he missed the birth of his Savior. The Messiah, the one promised of old, the one the prophets foretold, Jesus was born in his manger. How amazing would it have been to sit in the realization of the promises of God? He had that opportunity. He was just too caught up in everything else. Christmas is such a fantastic and wonderful season. But it is also a time where it can be pretty easy to slip into putting other things onto the mantle of our hearts. It can be tempting to get caught up in the familial activities, the presents, the songs, and the overall vibe. And it's a great vibe. But worshiping a vibe is not okay. So, as we navigate the busyness of Christmas and of life, let us take time to sit in the realization of the promises of God. Though we, in our sinfulness, have relegated Jesus to the manger, even though we have been called to clear out the inn for him, God's promises to us are still kept. Let us sit in the knowledge that God has covered us with his love. Let us rest in the faith that we have been given, the faith through which we have been saved. Let us be reminded of God's faithfulness to us. Let us slow down. Sing the songs. Spend time with family. Enjoy our church and praise the only one who deserves all of the glory. God the Father, the creator of the universe, and the keeper of promises. What a fantastic, gracious, merciful, and loving God we serve. Amen.